Our friends at Manscapes are turning their men's shower dreams into their favorite routines. The ultra premium new collection is an all-in-one hygiene, skin, and hair bundle. It's designed to upgrade your shower from head to toe. Using Manscaped during my showers after workout has given me much more confidence. The shower routine uses all the collection's products. You start with the cologne-infused ultra-premium body wash. You'll smell so great, all the ladies will be after you. Next, you apply the two-in-one shampoo and conditioner that cleanses. <laughs> Once you hop out the shower, apply the Manscaped aluminum-free deodorant. If you have tattoos or dry skin, hit your skin with the hydrating body moisturizer spray. Last but not least, check out the Lawnmower 4.0, electric trimmer to clean off any unwanted body hair. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof, and so it can join you in the shower. Although your balls might look like punching bags, don't treat them like one. The lawnmower is designed to cut hair on loose skin. Get 20% off free shipping with code to hotboxing at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping with code hotboxing at manscaped.com. It's time to get wet and clean with your new Manscaped shower routine. I got kicked out of California for a bunch of different crimes that you couldn't find me guilty of. Then I came back and started a robbery crew. So basically, we just kidnapped people for a living. Uh, that's a lighting. And you know, <laughs> I was in a crossroad. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I knew I didn't want to sell dope no more. Yeah. But at 21, 22, I, I didn't have no other means of, of income. I had already amassed. Like I was, my, I had two little brothers in private school. I had so many pieces of property all over the place trying to pay for that. Mm -hmm. So now I'm stuck with all this debt mm -hmm. monthly. It's like, shit, I gotta do something. I gotta figure something out. So it was, it was to the hustle, and what I knew best was the gun. This is another installment of Hot Boxing. I'm Mike Tyson. This is my host over here, Bath, and we have Big U as a guest. Talk to us, Big U. Big U. Hey, Big U. X Crip. Activist now, tell us your story. All around humble guy, no. Oh <laughs> <laughs> man, I mean, that's a start. <laughs> I'm pretty much like most people from LA. You know, we came from a gang pass, uh, like yourself, ran the streets. Started off early. Um, started going to, to jail about 14. No, my first time getting shot was 14, mm -hmm. and um, really kind of like found the streets. Mm -hmm. And I got kicked out of California for a bunch of different crimes that you couldn't find me guilty of. So they kicked me out of California. I went to Chicago for a while. Then I found my way back to LA in 85, 84, 85. Cocaine was at the height at that time. And so, you know, dove into that. Got a lot of money into that. Went back to jail 86, 85, 87. Had a lot of terrible cases. Ended up luckily beating those, came out in 87, same thing, went back. Now left and went to Minnesota for a little while, hustled up there, feds ran me out of there. Then I came back and started a robbery crew. So basically we just kidnapped people for a living. That's enlightening. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I actually that was the first time I met you. Like Tell me about that. When uh um Jim Brown House. Oh yeah. Jim Brown House, me, you, and Stone. My big homie with Stone, y'all used to do business. 
Like Stone. Stone was oh, was our big homie. That's who I looked up to. Okay. So when he got killed, he was the one they put in the newspaper as the leader of the 60th. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be next, but Stone and Jim Brown was was real tight when he started American program. So that was my first time becoming conscious of being conscious towards stopping the yeah. violence. So my relationship with Jim had formed, and I kind of backed up off the streets. That's after, right after that, I cut my hair off, and I met Mr. Louis Farrakhan, who had a great influence on me. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was already born into Islam, but I took the way away off, and so that really brought me back. And so from there, I kind of started robbing, because I didn't want to sell dope no more. Because I'd be they don't 21. understand that. I, they, they don't, yeah, they they, wanna... I know that sounds weird. I started robbing because I didn't want to uh, sell dope, but yeah. I understand that. Yeah, no, can you go into detail about that though, so people can understand why? So I read Malcolm X's autobiography, of course, and then uh, I was on the road. I was taking some some drugs from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I used to get the drugs to Minnesota, and I would take them all throughout um, that little tri area: mm-hmm. Detroit, St. Louis, Chicago, mm-hmm. and it was a little hub. Yeah. So I'm taking it. I read Malcolm X's autobiography. Then the feds hit in Minnesota about seven months after that, but I stayed in Chicago studying. Then I came back home and I hooked up with Dr. Khaled Muhammad, me, Khaled. You were hitting uh, some licks back then though, huh? Oh yeah, I was killing them. Yeah, I'm listening to some oh, licks being hit. Yeah, Y'all hear these people's names, I'm hearing these licks. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. big names. Yeah, so I linked up with Dr. Khaled when I came back. To LA because he was um he was over 27 at the time. And um, so me, Khaled, Malik, we hooked up and um I started moving all the brothers to through Jim Brown to the nation. And now, but I, I, I like I said, it was it was kind of like I was in a crossroad. Mm-hmm. I didn't I knew I didn't want to sell dope no more. Yeah. But at 21, 22, I, I didn't have no other means of, of income. I'd already amassed, like I was my I had two little brothers in private school. I had so many pieces of property all over the place trying to pay for that. Mm-hmm. So now I'm stuck with all this debt mm-hmm. monthly. It's like, shit. I gotta do something. I gotta figure something out. So it was it was to the hustle. And what I knew best was the gun. Yeah. So it was like basically my irrational thought was to rob the dope dealers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you know, exactly. And get them. Listen, <laughs> no, I was telling them my friend. Not harder. I was, listen, I was telling them my oh, friend, gosh. what are you gonna do? You'll be on the corner all day and when you finish up, somebody's gonna rob you. Right. That's what's gonna happen, right? Your friends are gonna rob you. Even you hear all day like a smock waiting for people to come. If the cops don't get you. Somebody's gonna get you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really pretty much. Dope man wasn't the, the man like he is now back then. Mm-hmm. In the early late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm. So we robbed everybody. <laughs> I mean, but 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 then like I said, so it really wasn't no real outlets at that time. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, like you like you have. Pretty much now, and so I think I became the outlet. Yeah. From from meeting Jim Brown, Minister Farrakhan, and um, the studies, and then yeah. I went to prison shortly after that. Mm. So I went to prison for robbery and kidnapping. So your hip hop uncovered doc, how did mm. that come about? Actually, from um, one of our partners named Jimmy Chris. Okay. We were all we were all trying to do get some kind of documentary off and get something about hip hop. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Chris came up with an idea to do one about bodyguards. So it was really about, it really was supposed to be about bodyguards mm-hmm. and how bodyguards worked in the industry. And then it went to be about managers. And so I had an idea for a documentary that was called, that I wanted to call it The Sons of um, 
Superfly, not okay. Malcolm and Martin. Okay. So I was going to detail the fact that we grew up in the 60s. I was born in the 60s, but like me and Mike, but we didn't be we didn't get we didn't get the influence of Malcolm mm-hmm. Martin, and we actually got the influence of Superfly. Mm-hmm. So I watched when my uncle and them were really all on the Black Power movement. And we were Jim babies, Brown too, and then they turned in to Super Superfly after the Superfly movie came out. Mm-hmm. So that's still a phenomenal that I wanted to touch on because we kind of got lost in between that, and then you seen the exploitation of black film. Of course, I was a baby, but I could see what that result was. So it wasn't nobody really teaching us, like on the West Coast, how to really become yeah. black men. Yeah. And so then, until I got to prison and started reading and studying myself, I never even knew who U.E.P. Newton was, wow. nor did I have no clue on H. Rod Brown, um, the Solidarity Brothers. These are stuff that we learned in prison. George Jackson. George Jackson, like, you know, he was, he was a phenomenal figure that's untalked about. But, like, so that's how the documentary came because mm-hmm. So we added what, what we wanted to do from that to that, and then it kind of started moving up the ladder, and it shaped into what it shaped in, talking about the legends of hip-hop, the people who were pretty much untalked about, mm-hmm. un, un, unheard of. Mm-hmm. And so, right, I think we did the deal right before Nipsey got killed. So we had, I think, maybe about a month, month and a half, mm-hmm. and so that really kind of helped me again shape it to talk about people who were untalked about are unrecognized in the hip hop industry. Mm-hmm. So we try to do that, stay with that. It was pretty successful. And you just, you kind of um, mentioned So Nipsey, man, your relationship yeah. with him. You want to like talk about that? Would you like to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't mind. Where'd you, you know, meet him? Oh my God. Where'd you meet Nipsey? Nip grew up in our neighborhood. Like we all come up about the 60s. So my nephew, after I was dealing with Suge, I was dealing with, when I came home in 2004, mm. I started dealing with Suge. I dealt with Suge for about the first three, four years. Okay. And then it was, I felt it was time for me to find my own artist. Mm-hmm. So I came back to the neighborhood and I started looking for artists, all my little homies. You know, you put the search out. Mm-hmm. And so from there, my, my little homie, Tiny, me, Tiny Draws, called him Shortstop, told me to go find Nipsey. So I'm like, all right, we went and found Nipsey, played some of his music. He played a, gr- a lot of songs that we loved. I loved immediately. So then I started going back. but. He got a song called Keys to the City, where he says, Dr. Dre turned him down, Epic turned, everybody turned him down. And then, and he says, that's in the song, he says, Big U's an animal, because he tells the story of how he was turned down up until he ran into me. Mm-hmm. And then I took him to Steve Lobel, amongst a couple of people. Steve eventually took him, took him, introduced us to John Shapiro, which got assigned to Cinematic Epic. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it just kind of took off, wow. then it dropped. And then I left the music, and then I started managing Veen Reigns. And I really started, I really was with Veen for about six years doing movies. But yeah, no, when I met Nip, man, he was what, 18, fresh out, and everything in his, in his, in his repertoire was about the hood, RSC. He had a song called RSC. It was uh, Bullets Don't Got No Name. It was mm-hmm. Kill Him Up, Shoot Him Up, Bang Bang. And so I think my influence at the time and where I was at that time mm-hmm. helped influence to shape him yeah. to where we eventually see him get to because he became a phenomenal leader and to see where he came from mm-hmm. and the road that we all traveled to get there For sure. in itself was great. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. You just tell he's an intelligent guy, man. Like, he always read. Yeah, always. Yeah, he was. Dude. He read all the time. That's so why we, we just sit in my basement. He said in the song, we just sit in my basement 
and and talk about books all the time because I was a real mild fan. Mm -hmm. When I came home in 2004, I wanted to tell everybody had to get out of our neighborhood. So we didn't want, I didn't want no filming in our neighborhood. I didn't want nobody coming leeching off our neighborhood because everything is Crenshaw. So now, because of the way our community is shaped, we are like the last black enclave in almost California. Wow. And so most of the people come to Crenshaw to leech off this black culture. And then, but people don't understand the greatness of the black Crenshaw from the span of Florence all the way down to King Boulevard, that's always been a rich, a rich street from the Gap Band, from, from George Clinton, all of them who used to be on Crenshaw because they couldn't go to Beverly Hills. They didn't have no street in Beverly Hills, so it was Crenshaw. And people don't understand the, the history that's on Crenshaw. So when I came home, I wanted to push that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because Compton was Compton, Drayton had Compton, Snootin had Long Beach, but we didn't have nothing on our section. Mm -hmm. So my whole thing was, no, nah, we from this area. Like, we're going to celebrate us. And then we already had movies where, with Ice Cube, them that celebrated us and talked about us. You had Moesha and all this, but it wasn't a movement mm -hmm. that came out of Crenshaw and only pushed our block. Yeah. And so wow. that was our intentions, and that's, that was what we were successful in doing. That's hard. That's yeah. hard. That's hard. So you got a new book coming out. Yeah, we're working on a book. I'm 55 years old, so it's, my story goes so far back. Mm -hmm. What part do you, I'm, it's almost like, what part do you want? Mm -hmm. And then they, they, they ask me stories, and one thing will remind me of something else. You know how your story is? Like, more people can tell you about the shit you did than, yeah. than you Listen, can remember? Um, that's the trip we had to think back and back when you were a kid before you had gray in your beard. Yeah. See how far I said, well, I can't believe I'm here. That's a stupid kid. I remember when I got a story with him and Stone was flying birds. Stone was, <laughs> Stone had birds. And I used to always say, that's why them dudes got them big ass necks. Because they, they be sitting up there like, yeah, watch this bird. <laughs> watch these birds. Because that's how him and my big homie hooked up. Yeah. And he was light skinned with green yeah. eyes, about his height, and he flew birds. And when Jim told him that, he, he I was shocked when I came on the block. On, my homie, he was the first one out of all of us to have a house on 60th. Yeah. And he had like three pigeon cages. Yeah. And I get to his house and bro there. If you got pigeons, I go anywhere. Yes. <laughs> no lie. My kind of birds, rollers, some real, real first class birds, I go anywhere. I go it's to like Africa. eagles, bald eagles, all them vultures. No, I'm that. talking about my rolling pigeons. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're rolling pigeons. I, That's go, my I, go, to, I go to China to watch them. I go to Africa, I go all over the world. England. So you've Man. been everywhere if you've seen pigeons? Watch, yeah. Wow. They, look, they was paying, my homeboy was paying $30,000 for birds in, in, in 90, 89, 90. And I'm what? like, bro, this is crazy. It was, the most expensive bird is a, a 2.1 pigeon. That's the racers, right? Racing pigeon. Yeah. Most expensive racing pigeon. You got $2 million bucks. How much is it? 1.9 million. 1.9 million. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. You can never let it go. It's got to breathe it. It's got to breathe right back it. home. And I remember my homeboy used to have, well, I remember we grew up, we used to hit pigeon cages. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we called them <laughs> call tap cages. off. New York we called them tap, tap off. off. Yeah, tap them off. Yeah. A nigga kill you a little bird. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. In New York, we have a nigga throw you right off the roof, kill you. Smack. Mm -hmm. you, you hit the wrong right, dude. That's two million. Well, no, no, ours don't cost that. No, but well, listen, the, the passion that we have in it costs more than two million. Cause we catch you in trouble. <laughs> no lie. You're, no, kill, you're killing people for pigeons, bro. If, and then I honestly, 
where dudes that beat the called somebody in their cage, caught him and beat him and left him in the cage for two, three days, then finally let him go. <laughs> like I just they go man. crazy about the pictures. Listen, I was a I young kid and um these white boys um I was trying to steal their birds, but they had an alarm on the coop, so when I came they heard me. And, I, and man, I had to like jump from here. It was just crazy. I could have killed myself. They they were beating my ass when they told me. It was just gonna, they was gonna throw me off the roof. But uh, I guess the working people down said, "Hey, what's going on up there?" He said, "This guy been trying to steal my bird. If he do it again, I'm gonna throw him off the roof." So they let me go. I said, "Thank God." That's the truth too, boy. Because in California, you know, we got better weather. Yeah. So it's it was a real big. Like I remember, they used to go from. Place to place, house to house, like they'll meet at certain times in the morning and they're driving. And I mean, one time, Stone, it was a hawk, a pigeon hawk. Mm -hmm. This man had us up till five in the morning to go. Waiting for this nigga, right? Wait to go <coughs> climb the tree. <laughs> wait, wait. Yes, serious, right there at Kennefine Point. <clears throat> First time ever. Can't sleep, gotta get rid of that. <laughs> and they won't live, though. Those Some of those hawks. They would just starve themselves. He, if you catch them, some of them they'll sit in there and they won't eat. You're right. You can't even feed them. It's crazy how they refuse to be in captivity. That's crazy. Now that's a whole different world. Y'all just y'all just brought me to a whole different world. I never heard anything about this. I, so I had some I had some outdoor stuff around this big. I kept two hawks in there. They survived, live, had eggs. Yeah, it's around this big. Yeah, it had to have big, huh? Yeah. We kept them in our bird coop. They go in the bird and they get caught in the trap. Oh, that's how you catch them, yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know. That was, I was phenomenal with that. You catching them hawks. It was too big for me. Yeah, mean looking with. Oh, when they, they catch them, they're mean. When they spread out, they spread out as long as they. I don't, I don't like birds, not big birds like that. My friend was trying to grab his feet and eat. He just went right across his beak just like this. Had to force like six stitches, come right over blood. Mm -hmm. Just just went across and didn't even bite him. The bird didn't bite him. He threw it across the birds. Beak and split his finger right open. Yeah, I don't fuck with birds, Mike. I don't do that. That bird's that mean. <laughs> so how big this brother is, we're gonna bring a bird in here next nah, time he nah, got nah, a line. Nah, no, no, right no, nah, I don't fuck with Listen, big birds, dog. You bring, you, bring, you, you bring an eagle in here and everybody in here run. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You bring a big bird, I don't fuck with a bird. Oh, but an eagle ain't a bird. The eagle nah, is an eagle. I'm talking about them big birds. I don't like what he's talking about, like the hawks. Yeah, the eagle is big as this. The the vultures, the I ain't fucking yeah. with that. That's some prehistoric shit. Yeah, what's up, brother? Yeah, man, that's nice. That's not really good. Good luck. So, growing up in that in in the streets, right? How and obviously knowing Nipsey, how pivotal was seeing Nipsey and YG have that union between them? No, it was great for the culture. It wasn't just them. Mm -hmm. It was a message for the culture. Mm -hmm. Because at the time, it was kind of getting back rocky with red and blue. Mm -hmm. So the union between Nipsey and, and uh, YG, it helped the culture, it helped, it helped young kids from wherever side you was from realize you can have a friend or a partner. So that message was even bigger than just music. Mm -hmm. you know? it, it resonated around the country, but it was bigger for, our, for us, for our culture, to see that. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. That's gravely important. Know, to see what's happening. Because, I mean, you know, you see so much travesty in the world, and you see what's going on with Putin and all them. It's, it's, Crazy, bro. So, you know, that union with them, too, mm -hmm. was, was was great. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. RIP to the great Nipsey, man. Yeah. So, 
I'm just curious to hear your opinions on on how on how to stop the violence, man. Like, you know, you know, there's been a couple artists that have been getting killed, like at least five I could think of off the top of my head recently, right? So I don't really think it's I think each individual situation is different. Mm-hmm. Because some may put themselves in a situation mm-hmm. and then situations may arrive. Everyone is different. It's not like one, you got somebody doing a carjacking, you can say you don't do no carjacking. Don't yeah, do that. True, true. And you can't tell somebody not to go hustle if they're not hustling. Mm-hmm. Like Nip's situation is different than Pop Smokes. Yeah, facts. And then Young Dolph's situation is yeah. different than each one of theirs. Yeah. So it's no right way, but I think Nip said it the best. He said that if he changed the energy he put out in his music so he would get different energy back. Yeah. So maybe if we change the energy we put out in our music, it'll help bring positive, positive energy back. And as you get older, you change anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We all go from a natural stage of growth to not doing what we was doing when we was kids. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think... It's getting wiser. Yeah, you yeah. get some people who don't, but... <laughs> Yeah, you get some people that don't. The internet is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Like this internet is a powerful tool that I think too many people have too much access with their thumbs to do it's this true. stuff. It is true. You know what I mean? You can just get out there. Yeah, because we don't read like kids the internet does. You know? Okay, how much how strict we are that kids take their phone, that phone calls them it's drugs to them. That's their first um experiment experience with an addiction. Yeah. Because every time my daughter's room not clean, first thing I say to her is, give me that phone. She up the stairs in the room, clean the room up. But I think, um, not, not think I, I, I deal with, I have, my organization is called Develop an Option. Mm-hmm. So we deal with youth violence. So I have one of, the, one of the contracts in the city that deal with gang intervention. Uh-huh. So we deal with, I have 21 people who work for me. I've been doing it now for 18 years. So we've been instrumental in dropping the gang violence down in LA tremendously. But we see a different kind of violence. Yeah, talk about that. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's not so much red and blue no more. Okay. So that guy said that union between Nipsey and YG. We see where it's more drug related now because we have more drug, more kids using drugs, mm-hmm. hardcore drugs, yeah. or what can be considered prescription drugs than ever before. Because mm-hmm. we used to can kind of have it. I think my mother, my my parents' era was the Peel era. That was, a, that was the Red Devils, all the different things they used to use. Now we're back to that, to where you see a lot of prescription drugs. Opioids, use, yeah, opioids, oxycontin, oxycontin, all that stuff. All that so thing. right now we deal with something different. So in the schools, we have to watch the Instagram and we have to know which kids are have the most influence. And so you have something like one kid may put up a post and another kid will say, oh, your shoes are dirty. And then that turns into something else. If they get five or six people laughing at them, now they want to meet and fight at school the next day. And so from them fighting at school, the parents are now showing up at school and the parents are fighting. Like we had this all the time. You know what I mean? So then that that turns into something else if it becomes that. And so everybody's too sensitive now. Oh man, <laughs> and this internet is really I'm crazy. Too sensitive. Like these comments, we it's so many issues over comments in the internet. Yeah. Like, that's a major... It's crazy. It's a major drag in what we do. And we see it coming. How do we stop that? How do we stop such a... You gotta stop comments. <laughs> I think you gotta tell them because... Make this shit private. 
<laughs> I mean, cause yeah. no, I really we really deal with that like every single day. We deal with it. Like, how, many, how many suicides you get? We don't have a lot of suicide, man. I got a lot of kids. You know, I had, I had. It was crazy that you said that because I had a six year no, how was she six? A six year old talking about she was just gonna kill herself oh. and get out the way. Damn. And sad. you know, you get parents. How do you even deal with that as a parent? Yeah, that's sad. You know what I mean because. It's so much stuff that's on TV, and then they say the rate of a black man killing themselves. But black, the suicide with black men is not just suicide; it's mental illness. So we're dealing with more mental illness now than we ever dealt with before. Like I dealt with my own family, but it's because of these prescription drugs that they don't realize that they take it. Because you got you got these young men taking drugs, not realizing that the drugs that they're taking is meant to help somebody who has a mental illness. If you don't have a mental illness and you're taking mental dr drugs that's meant for mental illness, don't you realize it's going to cause a mental illness? And I, just, not catching I just believe it's just big business. Oh, yeah. America is a, is a business country. Yeah. Country for business. And I'm not knocking what nobody do. I just think that what... What we're right not realizing—right is right and wrong is wrong. Right is right and wrong is wrong. What we're not realizing is that the um, these drugs that they're taking is going to have an effect on. For sure. It's not like you smoking marijuana. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think marijuana got a drag, a, a bad name, and it's so people equate it with all the other drugs, you know, like real hardcore drugs. Yeah. And so it needs to be separated, be isolated. If you're taking certain drugs and it's meant to alter your brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that needs to be focused on. But sure. Listen, um, they they tell you right after um, what can happen, the after effects can happen. You can die. You can go blind. You can go, let you know they're arrogant. You because they know you're gonna still take it. Mm -hmm. After knowing this is gonna make you blind, bust your guts open, and all that stuff, you still take it. What is the worst experience you've ever had with the police officer, and? <laughs> and obviously, what are your and obviously, what are your thoughts with the whole George Floyd? Like, where were you when the whole George Floyd incident happened? Well, my worst experience was <laughs> like these knots right here, right here, right here, and I think on the back. You're a big nigga. They want to fuck you. They up. thought I was. They didn't know I was grown. Yeah. One of my partners did a robbery. He didn't know how to drive the car. He just took. So I knew how to drive a stick. I jumped on the stick. And I take off. I get caught down the street. And they beat the dog crap out of me. When they realize, after we get to the station, they put me in there. One of my homeboys, we, was, we had just went to Mads Mountain earlier that, that day. And he was getting arrested. We was all dressed alike. So they had me in a grown man tank. I couldn't see. I couldn't hear nothing. Wow. Hair was a balloon. Totally discombobulated. And I wake up again, and he in the tank with me. He had told them who I was. And he had told them I was a juvenile. So then after that, you know, um, that was my worst experience again. Then after I had another experience with him, and this time I it wasn't, it, and then, you know, it, it kind of, it, it worked the other way around. And I ended up, that's how I learned how to fight, the, that's how I learned a lot about the law. Because I ended up catching a case in the county jail on some assaults and some staffs. But of course, I didn't have nothing to do with it. But I fought the case nevertheless. So that's when I learned the law. And I, I like to tell people when I went to prison, I couldn't read nor write. So, but while in prison, I learned how to read and write. Wow. And so I had learned the law fighting that case. Mm -hmm. And, but I already had been found guilty, was on my way to prison. So I think it was Tookie 
me and when I it was my first time meeting Tookie, Tookie was in this tank behind me. And we was just talking about the law. And he was like, you know, how much you know about the law? You know, you and just in that, I think we was there for like 30, 45 days. He had came down to fight a child custody case while he was coming. I can't remember what he was down there for, but we was talking through the vents. You can talk through the vents with him back. And uh, he was like, man, you need to know your case, know your law. But then, like I said, I just caught that kid, snapped, drove me to the law library. And from there, I just feel like now I'm, I'm equipped. I can, I can maintain myself when it comes to speaking their language. Yeah. Because when they gave me, the, they sentenced me. They sentenced me and they talked about me in the courtroom in a way that, in their language, that I, I understood, I couldn't understand the word they were saying about mm -hmm. me. You know how that feel? They in the courtroom, they made me, they talked about me in trial so bad, I wanted to find me guilty. <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, but the language they were using, I was at a disadvantage. It was so foreign, yeah, It to was you. so foreign, but yeah. it was actually all it was the language that we speak. And so I, I found out about a thing called the Black Law Dictionary. So then I picked up the Black Law Dictionary, and I made that a part of my everyday reading wow. to learn certain words. And so I went on and went to prison after that and did the 13 years. But while I was there, I was a litigator, considered what would be a litigator, because I had already knew how to write. And and what people what fit what fails us as 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 young men is that the law is not hard. Mm -hmm. uh, I think what seventy five percent of the law is, is just a leaflet, and any writ or any any motion you want to file is already written up. Write your name, write your case down, and explain a little bit of what's, what how it fits you, and submit it. And that's how it goes. But that right there yeah. escapes so many of us, yeah. and they teach us that we have to get a lawyer. That was like you know. My my worst experience with them, but while I was in prison, I became so good. You know, I was able to deal with that. But do you know, I still ended up in the hole, <laughs> and they did their thing. So, what's the biggest le lesson you probably learned from all of your experiences in life so far? Reading, reading, reading. You got to read. And to be honest with you, my biggest experience was. Another experience from prison, when I first got to prison, of course, when I got there, everybody blessing me. The homies looking out. When I get to the reception center, they send me a TV, a radio, a hot plate and all that. You're not even supposed to have that. Wow. So when I got there, like I said, because I had just came out of Pearl Pearl Tank, I read the, the Title 15. It's a book they give you on everything you can do and you're not supposed to do. Okay. I read the Title 15 because you're in the cell by yourself. And I'm in a cell by myself, waiting to go to orientation. I read the title 15, and I just remembered it. So after reading the title 15, they came in my cell when I went to child, took this TV, took everything, and just trashed the cell. And I and I and I just wrote a 602 form from memory, mm. from from because they wouldn't give me a, That's a 602 crazy. form, and I just quoted it. Wrote it like it would be a law, like like you know you present a, a, a 1983 form, which is a civil suit. Yeah. And when I was going out to go to child, I slid it under the police door. When I came back, they had a whole bag of everything they took from me. And it was like we can't give you the TV, we'll give you the radio if you can pull it back. And so at that time, it was it was my first experience yeah. of understanding reading and having knowledge. Because that's something they can't never take from you. Wow, that's amazing. That's an amazing story. It can break you down. Your body can get old. Yeah. Your limbs get tired, whatever have you. But 
what you once you read it and you consume it, they you can't know, take um, it away from you. So where were you during the whole George Floyd thing? And and how do you feel obviously about the whole police brutality thing that's going on? That's been well, going on, honestly. But now finally being highlighted. I mean, I feel like I'm wavering because I'm just not gonna let it happen with me no more. Like to me, it ain't no getting away with it. And until we fight, it's gonna continue to happen. We just seen an right elected there. president yeah. last night say he wanted to fund the police. Well, that means to him that he'll give the police more money to fight to kill more black people. and kill more black people. So it's not gonna stop until we make it stop physically. But the the sublime results that we got from that brother's life being taken are, are steps in the direction that we need. We need those steps also, but we also need to stand up though. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And do something about it, not just yeah, talk. Yeah, it can't be about talk though. Because yeah. uh, just to be honest with you, they ain't putting their hands on me. That ain't gonna happen. I'm not letting it go. I'm gonna go to where George Jackson, Chairman George. I believe in that, you know what I mean? And and they don't. They won't give us that picture. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna give us Chairman George. Mm -hmm. You know, and then uh, and his brother, Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan. You T know, tell the people real quick who Chairman who uh, Chairman George is. I, I think oh, the solid the solid brother, Chairman George. You know, Chairman George Jackson and Jonathan Jackson. Um, I think you. I don't even want to tell you. I think you need to read about them or go and really do some some time investigating them because. They influence California prisons. Mm. And so I don't know how prisons are in other places. I've never been nowhere else in prison, but California prison, we do have a little bit of structure mm -hmm. and we move in a different kind of way. At least I did. Mm -hmm. So I feel Phil like. Jackson stayed in isolation. Yeah. He got in isolation after he made his move. Yeah. After he did a demo. He was, he was actually charged it's with the like murder of. Was it really? He was charged. That's what the um. That's what the um um. Solidarity brothers about the murder of a cop who was supposed yeah. to have shot another and killed another brother. On that the happened when he was in prison, though. Yeah, he was. He in went prison. to prison for like taking stealing a candy bar. They something, something like that. Yeah, like seventy seventy cent. He ended up doing uh, eleven years. That turned into life. Him dying in prison, and his brother. He had um, told he had uh, convinced um, Jonathan to go on um, a robbery, a bank robbery, was it? No, something. he. Uh, no, Jonathan, Jonathan actually kidnapped the judge. Yeah, that's what it was. To 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 get him out. But we want to tell the whole story though. Damn, yeah, you know, we want the people to have to go research. Go do your research. Go do your research. Do the research. Judge Jackson, Jackson um, he's the first brother that got me conscious. Mm -hmm. That got you conscious. He actually yeah. gave us. He actually gave us names. Names like Stokey Carmichael. He actually gave us names like Angela Davis because she became famous. I know from, from the writing. Money, and when you research it, you're going to see that that's when she, her name really took off. Hun George started talking. Mm -hmm. and, yep. uh, George is yep. a bad cat. Yes, sir. Smooth. That's Chairman cool George. Dude. So what are some of the wildest prison stories you got? Like, what's the most crazy story you got? The, none of them are pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I really had a lot of wild prison stories. I was kind of like, you know, I wasn't the one. No, people knew. They knew. They knew. Kind of like you know, we we just it was it's just conflicts. Like yeah. you know, we had uh, incidents on the yard, on prison yards, we, and 
it wasn't nothing really started about me because I sat kind of up there. Yeah. And, and, and nobody really came to come up there to mess with. It would be yeah. incidents that young fellas would get into not knowing the rules. And when I went, when I, if you talk, when I went to the shoe, mm-hmm. I went to the shoe for actually an incident between one guy and my homeboy, mm-hmm. rest in peace right now, and I knocked his eye out. So yeah, I saw that there too. You knocked his eye out. In prison. Yeah. Wait, you knocked his eye out? Like his yeah. eye yeah. fell out his eye. His eye came out. Uh, yeah. We had a, What happened to him coming? Oh, God, my eye was that kind oh, of I shit. I started praying immediately because I knew if I didn't no get to time. the case, it was going oh. to be a, a life sentence. So, no, I went to the hole. I did three years for that. So, we had an incident and we ended up getting into it. I uh, caught him with a right and. He went down, his eye was in his hand, and I ended up getting locked up. I got charged with, with that. I actually stayed in the hole four years, so mm-hmm. I got out in 2004, so I think I went to the hole like 98, 98, 99, something like that. I got out in 2004. But, you know, like like I said, that was one that was documented, and then, you know, I paroled did you, did you 15 know, days out of did that. Did you know amongst the Cody? Yeah, I, I never, I, I was never been no, in the same space with no. Monster. Monster was like the folklore to us. We, I'm three years younger than Cody. You know what I mean? And so we was, we was always looking he's to the get right a name off of Monster. He's always right being prison. We both was in prison to write each other. Yeah, I seen that somewhere. He used to write two pockets. Cody was, Cody was an enigma, man. He if if he could have stayed, stayed yeah. straight, he'd have been, he'd have been a, a mark. I look up to him. I got a lot of respect for him. You know, some people just can't live out here. Yeah. This yeah, world's for a trip for some people's mind. Yeah. It's that challenge. You know, what he's talking about is we got homies who, who who can navigate while they're in prison, incarcerated, because that that You ever seen his penmanship? Yeah, I seen some of his writing. Ooh. Yeah, I seen him as writing. Oh, I mean, he was very, very intellectually stout, but when he came here, the discipline of not dealing with, you know, falling to that. That 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 crave, mm-hmm. he couldn't handle that. He couldn't master that. But he was a great adversary because he was yeah. an adversary with us. So you know he was a, he was a gangster. We was the '60s, mm-hmm. and he was a legend. Sure. Can't take that from him. That's amazing. He used to write to you, Mike. You said, "Yeah, hey, we we made each other." Fire. He was trying to recruit Mike. Bro. No, <laughs> no, wait, time out, time out. You out here, you out here, time out. Can we talk about this man knocking people's eyes out? Why don't you Why'd box? Why'd you do that, Why'd you man? box? That was How wrong. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this man knocking niggas out, eyes out and shit like it's casual. I was boxing. I was, I was boxing, but I grew up in martial arts, though. Uh, so okay. martial arts been my... fighting, man. You yeah. should've been fighting, man. should've been fighting. I boxed, I did. I boxed first. I mean, I grew up martial arts. I boxed, I did wrestling, I did all that. So I was really kind of cheating. I was like Mike. Mm. So when I went up against dudes in the streets, it wasn't like, it wasn't. It was nothing. You, know, it was, it was, it you was knew different. what the time was. It was cheating. Yeah. Like Mike yeah. can tell you, if he go up against a dude right now, he gonna, if a dude throw a punch, he gonna be looking like, damn, I can do like five techniques. Yeah, I can see how this shit coming a mile away. You know what I'm saying? And then with me, opposite of Mike is, I knew three differences. I knew, I did martial arts. And he was a master at, at, at boxing. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't as good as boxing as he was, but I was good at a lot of the other things. And then being six, being six yeah, three, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And and it was different. Yeah, it's you know? different. So yeah. We was taught to fight multiple people, so we would go in, train to fight, you know, and doing that. Cause then I cheat though, cause I'm gonna put your eye out. 
Hey, that's what Bruce Lee said, too. My I mean, ain't no fair ones in these streets. Ain't no Bruce fair Lee said ones. the same thing. He said, do you ever think about, um, they asked him, do you ever think about grappling before? Mm-hmm. He said, why would I think about grappling? When I think about grappling, that means I'm on the floor. He said, yeah, that's what it's about. He said, but I'm fighting four people, though. Mm-hmm. You can't be on the floor and you're fighting four people. Damn. Yeah, our thing is, you know, my whole thing is, ours is, you got three seconds to get him out of there. So mm-hmm. we was taught, what you going to do to get him out of there? I'm going to cut you. So I'm going to do all kind of shit. Not long, long three seconds. Wait, wait, speaking of that, speaking of that. Not long, three is seconds. It, is, it, is it true that you've been shot seven times? I, I was doing yeah. that. Fuck you. God Seven times? Yeah, my first time was 14. Uh, 14 or 15, I was in the Broadway's. I was with Cubone. You know Cubone? I was with Cubone. Why am I shaking his head like that? I was with Cubone. <laughs> well, fuck around. <laughs> what did he do? No, I, Cubone didn't shoot me. We was all together. I was like, what did they, what they were shooting after him, huh? No, they were shooting at me. <laughs> they, were shooting at, they were shooting at us. And um, I ended up getting shot. So, yeah, I've been shot, I've been shot uh, seven different times, mm-hmm. seven different instances. My first time was here, here, here. Um, here, here, all the legs. Oh, shit. You should be be grateful to be walking. Yeah. All the legs, both legs, all different times, all these bullet wounds. What? Yeah. This one was an AK that came through the car door and then shot my, hit my cousin. So he driving and it came through the door, through my leg, out here. This was this big. And it just rose and went and hit him in the side. Worst feeling in the world, huh? Or worst pain in the world, I can imagine. Nah, yeah, I feel no, this one was. This this one through the I got, finger. Was I got something world. like this, but this ain't because of getting shot. No, this one. Because uh, it's no bone. Look, what they tell you is it's uh-huh. no meat. That must have been exciting. So it's all bone and tendon. Yeah. It's all it's all bone and tendon, and I'm screaming, "Get to the!" It's hot, huh? <laughs> hot, huh? hot, 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 hurt. Let's talk about now all the amazing things you're doing right now as an activist in the community. Um, could you go into that? Well, like I said, developing option, man, we have been instrumental mm-hmm. in California in dropping the game virus yes, yes, that's what you see to the lowest it's been in history. We have seen a, ri- a rise since COVID because COVID is such an oxymoron and they got people in the mm-hmm. in the house and now they're trying to come out and, mm-hmm. and then when you give all these people this PPP money, you put more money into an economy and then now you drive it, but then it drops. So we see more robberies happening. And but we have we have enjoyed not seeing the gang violence rise. Mm-hmm. So now, like I said, we look at we're now we're looking at the violence differently. So I've had over the years, I've had about nine of our boys come out of my program that's made it to the NFL. Oh um, wow. I'm very happy about that. We put over 400, 500 kids through college, in college and out, because I've been had it 18 years. And so we do the biggest banquets in history. And make sure you let these people say it again, let those people know. Yeah, these millions of people oh, say it again. We do the biggest banquets in, 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 in history for our kids. We have we have multiple kids in college. I got my my my, my youngest son just graduated from uh, Reno, Nevada. I got Dixie State, one of Dixie State. One at UCLA, like I said, my son at Reno just went to Washington, UCLA, mm-hmm. and all of them come out of our program. So we have a we have football track, 
We have a travel basketball league. We have we haven't been able to get that back started. We wouldn't know Kanye to do what he's supposed to do. We have enjoying a great deal of success with coming helping kids mature mm-hmm. and helping kids reach out to what they want to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, that is amazing, man. I you know, Mike and I just want to commend you, man. That's amazing. Just giving back to the community, man. And, mm-hmm. and just doing what you being you, man. It's amazing to see. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like Big you. Big you, yes, man. Sir. Big, big you, you baby. <laughs> big you. It's amazing, man. Yeah, I appreciate y'all having me, man. No, be honest you. with you. Thank you for coming, man. We really the world champion over here. Nah, I'm alright. World champion. I'm alright, right. right, but well, there you have it, folks. That is Mike Tyson. I'm Sebastian Joseph Day. This is and, Big U. And this is Hot Box, and we out of here. Peace. Peace.